<laughs> Hello, kitties. It's your old pal, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. And tonight, I'd like to introduce all of you creeps to the Crypt Keeper's podcast, hosted by Spooky Bruce and Horror Ryan. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome back to the Crypt Keepers. I'm Spooky Bruce, joined as always, fresh off his stint as one of Barker's beauties on The Price is Right, Horror Ryan. I didn't do very well. No. <laughs> <laughs> they kicked me out. Aww. Hey, what do we do on the show, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Crypt Keepers. This is a podcast where we analyze episodes of Tales from the Crypt and the EC comics that inspired them. Today we'll be discussing Lower Birth, episode 14 of season 2, based on the story in Tales from the Crypt number 33. Hell yeah. Let's play on words, you'll see. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. How are you? I'm good. How you been doing? Very well, yeah. very well. I've been addicted to a game that just came out. Yeah. It's called Evil Dead the Game, mm -hmm. and I'm absolutely loving it. I'm killing deadites left and right. Yeah. Just need to find a good team, because those randoms online, <laughs> trash. I'm coming for you, buddy. I got I got it yesterday. Thanks. You got I've, my six. Yeah. I've only been able to play it for a few minutes, You know, despite not being in school and not, uh, not having a job right now, I somehow don't have any time for anything. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Uh, somehow I'm finding time, yeah. which is basically not sleeping. So it's working, doing yeah. house stuff, and playing this game. Yeah. Uh, it's a wonderful game. I love it. Oh, it's definitely awesome. great. Yeah, I've well, I've been able to play, and I saw you play at the party mm -hmm. on Saturday night. Uh, it looks a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. It's definitely challenging, but it's yeah. one of those games that it, you feel rewarded if you work as a team. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, yeah. you're screwed. Yeah, it seems... It's not a faithful one-for-one -one translation of any of the movies, but the spirit of the movies and the TV series is there. Is there. Yeah, they might as well just call it fan service the game. Yeah. yeah. yeah so and th they've already announced that they're going to add a bunch of stuff to it, so awesome. I'm definitely excited. Awesome. Yeah, I was surprised with it. Yeah. I was thinking about getting it, and then yesterday it came in the mail. Hell yeah. Grace got it for me, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. Which you, you heard Grace if you listened to the last episode. <laughs> she did the true. intro because she heard me she heard me at our kitchen table trying to do the intro real quick and she's like that's gonna take forever let me do it and she sat down and rocked it out <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see what else um i have a new uh movie that i love yeah what's that it was shown on uh joe bob briggs this past week oh yes it's called okay. housebound yeah which is a new zealand film and if you like movies that are cr crazy in, in ways of storytelling where they change the genre of the movie every five minutes yeah but yeah. it works so like they do you know who done it really uh -huh. well they do supernatural really mm -hmm. well but it just keeps flipping back and forth and a uh, satisfying ending is the best way of putting it but that's definitely my uh, pick of the week is housebound awesome it was wonderful yeah movie. i i watched the first movie which is awesome i highly recommend it it's uh the little girl who lives at the end of the lane. Mm. It is a just, it is a very tightly shot movie with um, early Jodie Foster and early Martin Sheen. And mm. even though it is years before they come out, uh, actually it's, it's, it's right before they become household names. Mm. 
but like they are already at the height of their acting prowess in this. And Jodie Foster, I think that she turned 12 during production. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she plays cold, evil, extraordinarily well. Mm-hmm. And Martin Sheen, the movie would not have worked if it was another actor in that role for either of them. But he plays this like casual, comfortable menace throughout the entire movie. Those are the scariest people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oof. I, you can forget how like some big name actors that you think of, they got in the acting game super early. Yeah. Like I was blown away recently. Me and Natalie were talking and she mentioned Drew Barrymore. Yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I know Drew Barrymore yeah. a little bit. And she's like, no, she's been an actress since she was a kid. Yeah. I'm like, e. Whoa. I yeah. hate E.T. I hate E.T. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that, that thing shit scared me when I was a kid. Terrifying. He still yeah. scares me. Yeah. I think he's one of the most terrifying creatures in movie <laughs> history. Because your introduction to E.T. is him scaring Elliot. Yeah. Like jumping out at him and going, Nah! Uh, yeah, the yeah. noise is horrible. He's yeah. a walking booger. All right. I, I, yeah. Even being very young when the movie came out, I still I did not understand why children loved him so much. <laughs> I was like, really? But I, I also felt the same way about Alf. <laughs> I was just like, why? I had a ET folder and like binder when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. but I didn't tell anyone that I was secretly terrified of this fucking thing. <laughs> I had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, binder. Yeah, that was pretty sick. Yeah, it's great. It's good time <laughs> to be alive. That, but that was a few years. ET was a few years before that. So. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of being young, yeah, this is an origin story of one of our favorite. Horror characters. Oh yeah, we'll 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 get there for we'll sure. Get there, yeah. Uh, so you want to get started with the the breakdown? Let's go. Or Let's do I'm it. sorry. The um, do you want to get started with the synopsis? like the breakdown? <laughs> 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 All right. So the synopsis for this this is uh, Lower Birth from season two, episode fourteen of Tales from the Crypt, directed by Kevin Yeager, written by Stephen Dodd, starring Louis Arquette. Stefan Gersich, I think that's how you say that. Yeah, that's close so. enough. Uh, Mark Rolstein and Jeff Yeager. Enoch, born with two faces, is kept as a sideshow freak by his abusive caretaker, Mr. Sickles. However, Enoch is dying, as the owner of the circus, Mr. Freely, reminds Sickles. Sickles meets a con artist, Dr. Kling, who offers to give Sickles a mummy to display in the sideshow, with a 60-40 cut going Kling's way, of course. The mummy, once a slave girl in Pharaoh's court, soon becomes the star attraction of the sideshow. Day after day, Enoch stares at her, falling in love. Later, Sickles discovers Kling stole the mummy. It turns out, the, the jewels she wears are cursed. If removed, the thief will have their genitals torn off. Ugh. Arguing, Sickles murders Kling. Then, Sickles tries to frame Enoch for the murder, then tries to remove the mummy's jewels. Enoch escapes his cage, kills Sickles, and runs away with the mummy. A year later, police find the cave where Enoch is hiding. He has died in bed, holding the mummy. Nearby is their child, the baby crypt keeper. Dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> <laughs> the most tells from the crypt origin story yeah. you could possibly have. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, I love it because yeah. they tell you an origin story they didn't have to tell you. Yeah. Like, no one ever went, I wonder what where he's from. Yeah. You just went, oh, it's the Crypt Keeper. It's just so that guy. I told Grace all about this. Like, I described the episode in the comic tour. Mm-hmm. And she had a lot of questions. That she's like, they need to make another episode because I need these questions answered. 
how they do it and how she give birth. When a sideshow freak loves a mummy, <laughs> things happen. Yeah. And, I mean, the two-headed person's penis went in the mummy vagina. <laughs> there. Solved it. Thank you for that. No he, problem. He actually does not have two heads. He has two faces. He has three heads. Yes, you you are right. But uh, no, actually, he has a condition. I want to tell you all about this. This is awesome. Ah. Uh, the, actually, what you see in the episode, he has a thing called uh, this is a mouthful, diprosopus, or craniofacial duplication. That's it is nice. when parts of a face are are duplicated on another head, a single head. Right. Right. So it could be just parts of the face or it can be in the whole face. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, this is, it's very, very rare. Very rare. Uh, it's only like one or two in every like five or 50 million cases or wow. births. Um, the last known case in real life was uh, Faith and Hope Howie, this uh, uh, Australian baby that was born in 2014. And she died uh, 19 days after birth. Oh, wow. They don't know why. Um, there was some talk that maybe there was a surgery to try to remove one of the faces and it went wrong, but uh, mm. there was never an official cause of death released. And this is the funny part, and you'll get a kick out of this. It's caused by a mutation in the at the SHH protein, or as it's actually called, the Sonic the Hedgehog protein. Like, for real? For real. It's called the Sonic the Hedgehog protein. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, most of the... Most people who were born with this are actually born stillborn or they die very soon after birth. The most famous case of this, however, was a man named Edward Mondrake from the maybe 1800s. Mm-hmm. I say maybe. And we'll Question get to mark? that. Um, he was considered to be a, be- a very beautiful man. He was compared to uh, this uh, historical figure named Antonius, who was a man who was so beautiful that the emperor of Rome... or the Emperor Hadrian of Rome fell in love with him and made him a god after he died at a young age. Dang. Um, and on the back of his head was another face. Oh. That was, the, it was a female face that was described as being lovely as a dream and horrific as the devil. Damn. Okay. So he begged doctors to cut this face off, do anything to get rid of this face on the back of his head because it, it was, although it was beautiful, all, all it would do was like whimper and moan and whisper Ugh. and drool and roll its eyes and make horrible faces, whatever. Um, it said it would gibber without ceasing. Ugh. Okay. And then he claimed at night it would quote, speak of him of things only spoken of in hell. Damn. Okay. No, now I want you to listen close to this cause you'll get a kick out of it. Um, there was a description in a medical journal uh, about it or no, I'm sorry, not a medical journal, but a newspaper article about it that the other face occupying only a small portion of the posterior skull yet exhibiting every sign of intelligence of a malignant sort. Uh, uh, yeah. You see where that's Yeah. You see where it might've come from. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Edward Mandrake or Mondrake. Yeah. Mondrake, uh, ended up committing suicide by poison and he asked his doctors to destroy the face after his death least it continue to whisper in his grave Ugh. and at his request his body was just dumped in a garbage dump he didn't <laughs> want to be buried he didn't want to headstone anything he just wanted his body just forgotten right wow. um 
it's a it's a really popular story about this guy. You'll see a lot of like the stories about him. You'll even see like photographs purporting to be him. But um, the only known source of this was a Boston Post article in ni- in eighteen ninety five, mm. and there was a, a, it, the story was repeated uh, from the Boston Post in a medical journal uh, or a medical textbook. But it, the the Boston Post claimed that the source for its story was the Royal Scientific Society of London and no group called the Royal Scientific Society ever existed until 1970. <gasps> Mystery. <laughs> yeah. And if you ever, uh, you know, the Junji Ito, the Japanese manga horror artist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he has an ongoing series called, um, called Tomi, which is about a girl who can replicate herself. Oh, He's had several like uh, Tomi stories. There's been like nine Tomi movies in Japan. Oh damn! Right, and in one of her her, her forms, uh, she has two faces like this guy does. Ooh. Right. The last Tomi movie is awesome because uh, she, like I said, she can replicate herself. Like if like she gets her like an arm or a leg cut off, or even just a few cells missing, she, mm-hmm. like she reforms. Right. right, and there's a scene where a character is walking down the street in like Tokyo, and every person she passes is Tomi. Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, um, that's it. <laughs> uh, ready to get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Awesome. So first, we have directed by Kevin Yeager. He's only directed three things: mm-hmm. uh, two episodes of Tales from the Crypt, and I'm sorry I did not write down the next one. It's like two seasons from now. He, he uh, the next one he he directs, but he also directed Hellraiser Bloodline. Was that the, number four? That was four. Yes. However, he is credited in the movie as Alan Smithy. Hmm. You know Alan Smithy. Mm-mm. Anytime a director does not like the work they've done or they're embarrassed by the movie, they have their name removed and replaced with Alan Smithy. So if you look up Alan Smithy on the IMDb, you'll see like hundreds of credits. But it's different directors. Yeah, it's different directors. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, but does he's that mostly, still happen? What's that? Does that still happen to this day? Oh, yeah. Oh, That's yeah, it awesome. still happens. He's still working. He's still working. Uh, Alan Smith, he's still working. I don't know yeah, about Kevin Yeager. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Kevin Yeager, uh, he's mostly known uh, as a special effects makeup artist. Mm-hmm. He did Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Ooh. He is the makeup effects artist for Freddy in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, 3, and 4. He did Freddy's Nightmares, uh, Children, Children of the Corn 3. He did the... Uh, mouth special effects like you know in movies or tv shows when they look in someone's mouth you see like you know from their mouth looking out yeah he did that for the movie called the dentist oh cool uh he did uh special effects in bordello of blood face off bill and ted's bogus journey and uh the new one i can't remember the name of it uh sleepy hollow and he did the the makeup for uh there was a horror version or a slasher version the phantom of the opera Hmm. with robert england as a phantom Sometime in the eighties, and he did the he did the work on that. Oh wow! Yeah, so this uh, is just he just dips his toe in directing. Yeah, he just dips his toe in directing for a minute, and then was like, "Nope, don't like this anymore." After Hellraiser, that's I fair. Guess. That's fair. Um, it was written by Stephen Dodd. We talked about Stephen Dodd on I think numerous episodes. He writes most. He most writes episodes. most of the episodes. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, what you'll see is in IMDb, he will be credited along with whoever actually wrote the episode. But in this case, I think he actually did write this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Louis Arquette 
as he is uh, Freely, right? Correct? Yeah, Ernest Freely. Ernest Freely. The head honcho at the, the circus. At the or, circus, yeah. He's had a long career of bit parts and voice work from the late 70s up until 2001. He w- he had a recurring role. I think what he is best known for, for people who actually know him, is he had a recurring role in the Waltons. He was on The Incredible Hulk, Mary of, Mary of the Children, Quantum Leap, the movie Tango Cash. He's another L.A. Law alum. Uh, he was in Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. He was Leaping Larry in Seinfeld. Oh wow! Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. I, he was in Little Nicky. He was a sheriff in Scream Two. Uh, his voice work. He was the voice. He played voices on the Smurfs, Real Ghostbusters, Captain Planet, the Spawn TV series. He was one of the main voice actors on that in uh-huh. the nineties on HBO. Did you ever watch that? Uh, not really. Uh, okay. No. He was also get this. Hmm. He was also a voice actor on Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling cartoon. That I remember. Guess who he played? Uh, uh, rock and wrestling. I'm going to say uh, Sergeant Slaughter. No, he was Jimmy Snuka. What? <laughs> the most non-Jimmy Snuka <laughs> right. person. Right. Um, but his biggest claim to fame is that he is the father of David and Patricia Arquette. Ah, yeah. there it is. There, yeah. There it is. I was going to ask if he was a part of the family, yep, but he is. He he's is the patriarch. Uh, next, we have Stefan Gersich as Mister Sickles. He is the owner of Enoch, the abusive caretaker. Uh, I say owner because they actually refer to him in the episodes a few times as the owner. Uh, yeah, I consider yeah. him. Yeah, just a nasty yeah. handler. Um, this is a, a guy with another comfortable career of small roles. He was in Alfred Hitchcock. The TV, the Alfred Hitchcock t- uh, mystery TV series, mm-hmm. The Untouchables, Bonanza. But I think most actors from the early days of TV are all on Bonanza, right? At one right. point or another. Kung Fu, he was in the movie Carrie, Starsky and Hutch. He he made appearances on Dallas and uh, uh, The Incredible Hulk uh, in The Twilight Zone in the 1980s, the, the 1980s relaunch. Uh, he had a recurring role on the Dark Shadows reboot in the 90s. Um, ER, the show I used to love called Brimstone was this guy. He's a cop who escapes from hell. And he, when he escapes from hell, it makes all these demons escape as well. And so the devil's like, now you got to catch them. Huh. And we'll take, we'll take some years off your sentence. If you help me, you're like, re-catch these demons. It's the plot of Cuphead. Yeah. What's that? That's the plot of Cuphead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Um, he was in the, another TV show I really liked uh, from the 90s called Werewolf. I've never heard of it. Uh, it's it, about a guy who's bitten by a werewolf. Oh, and goes looking for a cure. It's almost like the Incredible Hulk. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's almost the exact same setup, but instead of the Hulk, you have a werewolf. That's fair. Um, the special effects, I think, were by Stan Winston. They still stand up. Oh wow! For a '90s TV show that went like two seasons. Damn. Uh, uh it was excellent. Um, he's also in the High Plains Drifter and Jeremiah Johnson. If you like Westerns, that's kind of a, apparently those are the roles he's known for. I've never heard of this guy yeah, ever in no my idea. life. <laughs> right. No idea. Before today. Um, we have Mark Rolstein as Dr. Zachary Kling. He was Private Drake in Aliens. Uh, he was in a remake of Humanoids in the Deep, of the Deep, in the nineteen in 1996. Oh. Uh, he had a couple of roles in the X-Files playing different characters. That's cool. Um He's Firefly in the, the Batman animated series and the Justice League animated series. Uh, he had some sort of role. I've never seen these movies except for like the last one. Uh, he had some sort of role in Saw 5 and 6. Hmm. Yeah. I've never seen those. Um, he played Lex Luthor in the Injustice video games. Huh. 
and he uh, he plays Norman Osborn in the Spider-Man games, Spider-Man and Spir- uh, Miles Morales. It's so interesting that these actors have such wide, uh, varied careers. Yeah, you know, it's cool. Um, Jeff Yeager, who is actually he is the older brother of the director Kevin Yeager. Really? Yeah, and I think they've worked on a few things together. That's awesome. Um, it, he he had a recurring role at, in the in the TV series V. Uh, which have we talked about V before? V is a formative experience for me. Hmm. Uh, it was a miniseries on NBC that became a TV series. Uh, they basically someone wanted to adapt uh, a book called "It Could It Couldn't Happen Here" about America becoming a fascist country. Mm-hmm. But Star Wars had had just come out during the pre production of the series, and so they're like NBC was like, "Now you gotta make it sci-fi." Oh no! So what they did, they made it about an alien invasion. The aliens come down and they say, "Hey, in exchange for water, because our our planet is going undergoing it's like this drought. In exchange for water, we'll give you the cures for every disease." Oh, and we're like, "Sure," but the aliens stay and they start integrating themselves into society and slowly taking over. Ah. And they're killing they're killing like scientists and journalists, anyone who could discover who they are. Right. And eventually, this resistance forms to fight the aliens. Ah, they look like humans. But then someone discovers they're actually just, they're wearing um, a disguise and underneath they're reptiles. They're Republicans. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was also in the Twilight Zone a reboot in the 80s. Uh, he was in a movie called Bionic Showdown, the $6 million man versus the Bionic woman. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. I don't think they actually fought in that. I think it was a team-up movie. Um, he was also on Freddy's Nightmares. He was in the uh, Marble Rye episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> He's also in Millennium, the the X Files sister series, and yeah, that's it. Uh, he he was also in Cradle to the Grave, but I have no idea who he played in that. That was the DMX Jet Li movie. Never seen it. Yeah, <laughs> never seen it. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's who we have for this episode. Right. Do you want to go into the breakdown? Let's do it uh, once again. This is season two, episode fourteen, Lower Birth, which premiered July third, nineteen ninety. The episode opens with the crib keeper rocking a baby doll in a crib. He almost hits it with a hammer, but then notices the camera there and says, oops. <laughs> he then goes on to say that this story should be called A Tale from the Crib, Aww. as it's an origin of his favorite horror icon. Who could it be? Uh, let's <laughs> figure it out. The episode opens to an old-timey carnival. Ernest Freely introduces the crowd to a freak show. He says things like, See proof of God's twisted sense of humor and view the consequences of nature's most horrible miscalculations. We have a fat lady. We have a small man. We have a living skeleton. And we have the star of the show, Enoch, the two-faced man. The crowd starts to enter the tent to view the show as a man in a fancy suit and a top hat looks onward. Enoch, with his two faces, one kind of peeking like it's on the right side of his face it's not as animated as his main face yeah. but like it's there and it's gross yeah it's like just growing out of the side of his head right he is peeking from behind the curtain and he's out of his cage Ernest starts to show the crowd the different uh people that they have they show a fat lady in which she just laughs yeah it's just it's just a woman it's who's just large the large I mean- lady uh, the next is the little family, which is basically two little people with a child drinking tea. <laughs> so I love how he's like, uh, the little family, yeah, and the curtain he, opens, and it's just little people. At first, he's like, 
They're so tiny they can fit in the shoebox. And they can't fit in the shoebox. Liar. Right. Enoch gets caught and whipped by his handler, Mr. Sickles. He gets thrown into a cage just before Ernest opens the curtain to see uh, Mr. Sickles leaving the area. Ernest introduces Enoch, the two-faced man, opens the curtain, and the crowd gasps in in awe as Enoch looks disparaged. He's immediately like, yeah, clearly he's not having fun. No. Later, Ernest confronts Mr. Sickles about making sure that his pet, Enoch, is in his cage every night before showtime. Sickles apologizes and says that it won't happen again, in which Ernest replies, if it does, he'll retire Enoch from the show. This amps up Mr. Sickles as he, as he says, without me and Enoch, you're no different than any two-bit sideshow on the street. Ernest tells him that he knows that Enoch is dying and that Mr. Sickles bribed a local doctor to keep it a secret, in which he says, quote, your freak isn't the only one with two faces. Ooh, Ooh, dirty dog. Yeah. Wow. Ernest says that they'll keep Enoch until he dies. And then Mr. Sickles free ride is done. He and Ernest storms out. Sickles angrily leaves as the man in the top hat from earlier watches on and lights a cigarette as he sees Mr. Sickles whip Enoch as punishment off screen. Sickles returns to his tent when Mr. Top hat man is waiting for him in the dark tent and scares the shit out of him. (laughs) Sickles says that he will call the police, but the man says, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to be your salvation. He introduces himself as Dr. Zachary Kling and that he overheard his altercation with Ernest. Kling says that he has required something in a card game that would be mutual, mutually beneficial to them both. Kling leads Mr. Sickles to Kling's carriage and shows him what he has in which he says, I want a game of cards from an archeologist who couldn't play poker for shit. He lifts the blanket to reveal a mummy sarcophagus. He opens the sarcophagus to reveal that it is a female mummy in which he says, this is Myrna, an Egyptian slave girl who was buried alive for turning down the Pharaoh's advances. The mummy has a giant scarab shaped pendant which is green and red jewels around her neck. He's, he offers her to Mr. Sickles for a 60-40 split of the profits at the sideshow. Sickles, pretty curious, says, what's the catch? Yeah. because Okay, so when this character first appeared, I thought, he's the devil. This guy's the devil. Yeah, he's I could see nice, that. Naked Lighting a cigarette, nicely yeah. dressed. Yeah. I could, yeah, I could easily see that. And Sickles says... Why are you taking this to me? Why not go directly to Ernest? He's the one who owns the the carnival. Kling says that he's a gambling man and has enemies. and needs to keep this transaction on the DL. Sickles asked about the jewels in which the man says they're worthless. It's just a prop. Sickles agrees to the 60-40 split and they shake hands as as it fades to black. Later... Ernest is unveiling the new Myrna, the real mummy exhibition. Business is booming in which we have a montage of Sickles and Kling making a shit ton of money all while Enoch becomes infatuated with Myrna. His cage is about what? 
15 feet yeah. away yeah. from her sarcophagus. And right. basically every night in front of a new crowd, they open it up to show the female mummy. And he's like, Duh. yeah, he's all about it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, Dr. Uh, Doctor Kling and mm-hmm. Mr. Sickles first meet. When he comes in the room, uh, did you mention this? Maybe I'm just having a lesson memory. He goes, I see you prefer a lower birth. No, no, I didn't. No. Okay. I didn't catch that. The joke is out of place. Like, there's no reason, like, for that in there. It's just, like, making a reference to the title of the story. Right. <laughs> well, which, I mean, other movies and TV, like, they make that joke. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it's like Doctor Strange. We're in a multiverse of madness. <laughs> uh. Sometime later, Enoch is sleeping in his cage, in which there is a really cool effect where both of his mouths are snoring, which I thought was really great. Yeah. He is awakened by a little girl holding a doll watching him. Must have been a, a someone at the carnival snuck away from their mom, went under uh, behind the tents to look at the, the freaks. The little girl isn't afraid of him at all, and she shows Enoch her doll, in which Enoch starts to like, and he smiles and laughs. It's actually a really sweet moment. Yeah, yeah. Enoch points towards uh, behind the girl to a curtain, in which the girl opens the curtain, and it shows Myrna, in which Enoch sighs, because this dude is crushing hard. Yeah, he is. As the girl's mother yells for her, she gives... Enoch the doll quickly and leaves. It's very, it reminded me of Frankenstein. Yeah. The very like sweet, innocent moment mm-hmm. of this quote monster, yeah. like getting a dose of someone who like is care- caring of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really sweet. It's the first time anyone has ever shown him kindness. You you get the idea. Right. Right. In which it, which I mean, sometimes in real life, you know, yeah, the, you don't get shown a lot of kindness for sure. Later, Sickles walks in and tries to take the doll from Enoch, but Enoch snarls and snips at him, and he looks over at Myrna while caressing the doll. Sickles notices this and starts making fun of Enoch, saying, oh, you want a family? You want a normal life? He laughs as the camera pans over to Enoch, looking more and more depressed. Just as Sickles notices a newspaper on the ground that had a headline, that said, priceless Egyptian mummy stolen. Yeah. So I, that wasn't on the ground. It was in the cage. It was like his bedding. Yeah. 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 Like you would do like a hamster or bird cage. Right. Gives you, giving you an idea of the conditions that Enoch has to live in. Not the n- not no. fi- four stars. No. No. Sickles interrupts Kling's card game, demanding to talk. He initially says no, but then he shows him the newspaper, and they both go to a tent, go into a tent. Sickles grabs a pair of large shears and threatens Kling to spill the beans and tell him why he's putting the mummy at the carnival. Kling states that there is actually a curse on the mummy that whoever steals the jewels can't procreate anymore. Sickles laughs and says, so whoever takes the family jewels loses theirs? I'll think I'll take my chances. (laughs) Kling says, I hired a man once to take those jewels off and he was found castrated dun 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 cling tries to stop sickles from leaving the tent and sickles turns around stabs him in the stomach with the shears accidentally killing him there's a really awkward moment where like he's falling to the ground and sickles is like oh so <laughs> yeah. he, it's kind of like an accident but then he goes man <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> he's like oh 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 hey this works out for me right just as he is looking down and note and realize that he just killed a man Someone off screen yells, hey, it's 20 minutes till showtime, in which 
Kling starts to smile. Or Sickles starts to smile. Yeah. Kling's dead. At the freak show tent, Sickles arrives with a suitcase and a hat, clearly telling the audience that he's about to grab the jewels and yeah. bounce. Yeah. He opens Enoch's cage and plants the bloody shears in the cage with him. Sickles says, oh, look, you've gotten out again and you've been a naughty boy. Sickles then goes over to Myrna to take the jewels and he pulls them off. Enraged, Enoch grabs the shears and for some reason just goes right up to him and just cuts his balls off. Yeah. You don't see it, but that's what's implied. He says something. What does he say? He says um, he says something though, doesn't he? When he, before he does it, what, oh, he not? says like "naughty boy" or something. Yeah, like it's that. really yeah. Gra- gra- gravelly. Yeah, so, I mean, his at it, first Enoch won't leave the cage though. No, because he's so he's either so abused or so animalistic he doesn't realize the door is open or that he can leave. It's not until the uh, until he goes to Mirna. He goes to Mirna and tries to take the jewels off that. He, that Enoch acts and fulfills the prophecy or the curse. That's true. He castrates Sickles just as Myrna's eyes begin to open pale white. It's pretty creepy. Yeah. That night, Ernest is unveiling the freaks of the tonight of the tonight show <laughs> and introduces Enoch, but he's not in his cage, and the crowd becomes displeased. He then rushes to make up for it by revealing Myrna, the mummy. Only for only for him to open the curtain and for Sickles to be in the sarcophagus with shears coming out of his genitals. Yeah. It's brutal. The way they shot it, too, was great because they yeah. don't actually show you the genitals. Yeah. But it's from underneath the shears. Yeah. So I would say that's the shot of the episode. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's Absolutely. Great. Yeah. Ernest is shocked as the crowd is horrified and we fade to black. One year later, police arrive at the carnival to find Ernest. And you can clearly tell that just by how everyone is looking, how dirty they are, yeah. how empty it is, they haven't had good business mm-hmm. since then. Hey, they still have that baby kangaroo, though. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's still a baby a year later. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> they gr- they takes them a while to grow. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not as... We're not Australia not, experts. I'm not an animalologist. Yeah. Police arrive, and they tell him that they found something... They need to show him. They take him to a nearby cave where local kids made a discovery. They show the cave done up like a home with a dining table and a straw bed. But in the straw bed is Enoch and Myrna, both dead and in each other's arms. Ernest almost pukes from the sight and the smell and runs out of the cave. Real quick, that's a good callback to the comic because in the comic... When he first meets Enoch, he actually throws up when he goes into the cave. Right. The first, like, not when he meets Enoch at the end, but with the beginning when he when he first meets him. Right. Yeah. So he pukes and he, because I mean, I'm assuming it smells horrific. Yeah. And he runs out of the cave. As the police go after him, the camera pans over to the corner of the cave where a baby crypt keeper is holding the doll that the little girl gave his father. And we fade to black. <laughs> it's great yeah such a great ending it, it's a fun episode oh yeah for sure uh well, then we go back to the adult crypt keeper who is crying and has that doll next to him and he says wasn't i cute wasn't i a cute terror tyke i guess you see where i get my good looks he starts to cry and then he starts to laugh and then he says if only they live long enough to see me be a star oh as the episode ends oh that's it's great. <laughs> it's so fun. 
they actually finally found the use for all that circus music they have used in almost every episode. <laughs> right. Well, this is the second <laughs> the episode they've yeah. been in a carnival. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other one was uh, like the second episode of the whole series. Dig that cat. He's, He's real, real gone. gone. Yep. With Joe Pantoliano. Yes. <laughs> See, now we're just, we've been doing this so long, we're full of useless information. Yes, we are. Well, we are. I was already like that to begin with. I don't think uh, anything you say is useless. Oh, uh, uh, now I have more useless um, Tales from the Crypt knowledge. Yes. I always had Marvel knowledge. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was a wonderful episode. I thought it was, it was one of those perfect mixes of humor and cool special effects. Yeah. And I noticed there is the 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 villains quote unquote yeah the, the real monsters uh-huh. um they're pretty bad yeah like, this also reminds me of the episode we did re- recently of the mortician yes we're like you're just a piece of shit yeah. and I'm so glad you're dead he uh, Mr Sickles does not raise the level of abuse at least that we see uh, on Enoch that we see in uh, the episode we just covered whose name I just forgot even though you just said it oh, the mortician the mortician oh um fitting punishment yes yeah yes. we don't see the levels of abuse like we see in fitting punishment although it's heavily implied it's heavily implied yeah. but also the fact that they don't even treat enoch as a person yeah they treat him as a thing or a creature right right a pet yeah you know so i don't think you should even treat a pet that way right or an animal in right. a cage whatever. I, honestly i don't like zoos yeah i just it's interesting to see animals that you wouldn't normally see in in the area of the world that you live mm-hmm. in but Nine times out of ten, that I mean, I've only gone to zoos a couple of times, but every time it's like they're clearly not having fun. Hmm. You know, it just—I don't know. Just hmm. I've never, I've never had a good time at a zoo. It's huh. just been like meh. No, oh. I don't know. Hmm. But hey, I know that there are animal lovers that love zoos. Yeah. So I don't know. This guy sitting right here, yeah, getting a season pass to go to the zoo every day. Oh, while my wife is in California. Nice. Yeah. Oh, good for you. That's <laughs> awesome. It's just never. It's just never been a thing that, that clicked with me. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. The comic that it's based on yeah. is, it's different. It's different. Yeah, they, they do some switching around. Uh, some characters' roles are a bit different. Mm-hmm. You don't get the abuse, certainly. Right. <laughs> you get some exploitation, but it's not abuse. Right. Uh, so should we get into that? Let's do it. All right. This is, uh, it's from Tales from the Crypt, number 33, from December 1952. Wow. Uh, hey, look at that. 70 years ago. And the story is actually set in uh, 1872 because they say it was 80 years earlier. Right. So the Crypt Keeper isn't that old, if you think about it. Like, Not really. He looks ancient. He, he was born in 1872. Yeah. Written by Al Feldstein and Bob Gaines. Art by Jack Davis. There was no indication of who did the coloring for this one. Yeah, it's Sorry. just question marks yeah. wherever I found it. Myrna the Mummy is the main attraction at a circus sideshow run by Ernest Feely. Soon it is joined by the pickled corpse of a two-headed man named Enoch. The two corpses are placed facing each other. When the attractions are separated, Enoch and Myrna wake, crawl from their respective tank and sarcophagus to be with each other. The owners, Mr. Sickle and Dr. Kling, search for them, but the trail goes cold after they track their attractions. Well, that was a weird way of saying that, Bruce. (laughs) To a blind justice of the peace, who says he married Myrna and Enoch. A year later, their bodies are found in the ca- same cave where Mr. Sickles found Enoch. As the police, Sickles and Kling, leave the cave, a baby cryptkeeper comes out of hiding. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that in even like 1952, 
you can have a two-headed person, which, by the way, Enoch in this comic isn't two-faced. Yeah, he has he, two heads. He has two heads, which that's a condition called polycephalus. Polycephalus. Yeah. Gesundheit. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the fact that in 1952 morality, these two monsters, sideshow freaks, still have to get married before they can be together. Yeah. <laughs> like they're even like, quick, we get we can't we have you know, we have comics where people get ripped to shreds or yeah. we have cannibalism. We can't show them have it we can't imply they had sex before marriage. Right. <laughs> quick. How do we do it? They're uh, he's dead blind. anyway, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it, you know, it never really explains how they come back to life other than I just assume the power of love. Well they didn't do it in the T V episode either. Yeah, well, no, Enoch was already alive. Yeah, but the, she, I mean, I guess you could the say the curse. curse. The curse brought her to life, but there's nothing like that in the comic. Right, they just they just get up and be like, what up, baby? Yeah, so. yeah, he crawls out. He is kept in a uh, a, a giant tank of formaldehyde. Yeah, I got he, questions about that. Yeah. We'll get there, but. I mean, there's there's pickled corpses, I'm no, sure. No, they're, they're, eh, there's a little something before that that I'm like, eh, it's gross. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll okay, get there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, they just get up and be like, Hello, you want to yeah. get married? <laughs> and I guess she says yes. So I don't know. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. All right. The uh, almost that episode. The story starts with the creep keeper saying, "Before entertainment was on TV, radio, and comics, there was traveling carnivals. One carnival was in town in the Ozark Mountains eighty years ago, confirming the fact that the creep keeper was born in eighteen seventy-two. Ernest Freely, a carnival barker." Hypes up oddities to the crowd. A fat lady, a sword swallower, a fire breathy, breathy, breather, and a star attraction, Myrna, the only female mummy in existence. Myrna was owned by a retired archaeologist, Dr. Zachary Kling. Ernest pays Kling a large salary to showcase Myrna. Five times a day, Kling narrates Myrna's story, in which they flash back to Myrna being a lady-in-waiting for the Pharaoh's wife. She refuses the Pharaoh's advances and is buried alive for it. That is harsh punishment. Yeah, yeah. For saying no. Yeah, and it's the same fate as the mummy in the, the show as well. Right. Except there's a curse attached, and she's, you know, still, actually still alive in some form, which, like, in the mummy... The movie The Mummy, right? Whether you think of the uh, the Boris Karloff mummy from the 1930s, or you think about the Brandon Fraser mummy from the 1990s, why do they always give, as a form of punishment, these mummies some sort of supernatural ability? Right. I mean, it's even in The Mummy from Hammer Horror. Yeah. Christopher Lee's mummy, like he's in love with the Pharaoh's wife, and he's his punishment is to watch over her forever. Right. Shouldn't it be like... Your punishment is to be away from her, right? Or like in the in the Brendan Fraser mummy, it's like your punishment is one day you can destroy the world you're, from all your power. You're like sick, yeah, That's right? awesome. Like, oh, hey, don't punish me more, please. Oh no! <laughs> so the flashback ends, and today Kling shows Myrna to the crowd, and the, and everyone is in shock. He unveils her face wrappings to display her horrible mummified face. The crowd flocks to see Myrna. Later, when the carnival hits the same Ozark town again, a Mr. Jeb Sickles arrives and offers Ernest an opportunity to showcase a new oddity. Sickles says that he he's an un, <laughs> unlicensed doctor <laughs> and an old crone from the mountains asked for his help two years ago. 
saying that her son was sick in a cave and he uh, almost puked with what he saw. It's uh, Enoch and it is clearly just a human body with two necks and two heads. Yeah. Just right next to one another. But there was nothing that he could do and Enoch died almost immediately when the doctor arrived. I say doctor. He's yeah. unlicensed. Or Sickles. Sickles says that he put Enoch in a moonshine still to preserve him. This okay. is the problem that I have. Okay. <laughs> so does that imply that people were still drink, drinking the moonshine that er, that Enoch's body was floating in? Because he was put in a moonshine still to not decay. The implications, Bruce. So, okay. So apparently there was a British general in that battle of new orleans during the war of 1812 who died during the battle and they would back in the day they would try to preserve corpses for burial uh if the person died at sea or wherever or in a foreign land by putting them in alcohol Mm. right and so after he died they took this general and they put his body in a rum barrel yeah sent it back to england but uh I don't know if this is true or not, but it, I, I'm going to believe it because it sounds it's a fun story. Okay. So, uh, but instead, it got uh, it got diverted somehow and put in the wrong shipment and ended up in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, where it went to a bar oh. or a, a, a tavern or whatever, and people kept drinking from it. <laughs> Ugh. And apparently, that's the same fate of uh, if you ever heard of uh, Horatio Nelson, uh, a British admiral. Uh, apparently, when he died at sea the ship doctor put his body in a barrel of uh, brandy and they had to keep refilling it because people kept accidentally drinking from oh, that barrel. <laughs> God. So, yeah, I'm assuming that happens in this story. Uh, Sickles takes Ernest to go see Enoch, in which the crib keeper, like who's narrating the story, says, quote, the light from the lantern cast an orange glow onto the huge wooden still vat. Below the surface of the moonshine, a pulpy white face, two pulpy white faces of the two-headed corpse stared up at Ernest Freely. And I will say that that single panel is fucking haunting. Yes, it is. It is disturbing, and it freaked me out. Like, it's so weird. It's just tiny, just one panel of a comic, but you see four eyes in one body yeah. staring up from under this liquid. It's gross. Yeah, I'm gonna, it's very gross. I, I'm going to put it on uh, social media okay. when we air this episode because it's, it's fucked up. I'm going to put like a comment like, here's looking at you. you know? <laughs> so uh, th- that just raises more of the questions of like, so did they make moonshine in the vat and people drink from it? Yeah. We'll never know. Yeah. Ernest offers a, j- a, a job for Sickles and he accepts. Later, Enoch is in a glass tank filled with formaldehyde, and Jeb introduces Enoch as the crowd gasp. Ernest offers Enoch a share of the top billing with Myrna, much to Dr. Kling's displeasure. Five times a day, Enoch and Myrna are facing each other, and both of them are just staring at each other as crowds gather around them and check them out. One day, Dr. Kling is upset that he is taking a pay cut and Ernest defends his decision by lowering his pay so he can increase Jeb's pay. So they're both equally paid because they're both co co-stars might as well get paid 50 50. Yeah. Then later on, Ernest actually gives top billing and more money to Enoch 
and Myrna is set aside outside to bring customers into the tents. That night, Myrna becomes alive out of nowhere, moving toward Enoch. Enoch equally becomes uh, get Enoch becomes alive as well, and gets out of his tank, uh, slowly moving towards Myrna. The next morning, both Jeb and Doctor Kling believe that the other man stole their star attraction. Jeb, Doctor Kling, and Ernest see a trail of formaldehyde and mummy wrappings leading to a building saying justice of the peace. The man inside says that he married the couple last night, but didn't see what they look like as he is blind and says, well, five bucks is five bucks. <laughs> it's great. The Crypt Keeper interjects this story, uh, which I, I mean, listeners know I love yeah. when this happens. He energy interjects and says, don't peek. Here comes the finish. They couldn't find either one of them, and a year passed. The carnival was back in that same old town a year later. Ernest heard rumors of people seeing strange things coming from the old crone's grave. Not grave, cave. The three men go to investigate, and they find lifeless bodies. Kling takes Myrna, Jeb takes Enoch, and Ernest says, At last, after a whole year, after the three men leave, a baby crypt keeper crawls from out of the cave. Oh, st- what's funny is that, so he was technically born in his grandmother's house. Yeah. His grandmother's cave. Cave, Yeah. Technically. Yeah. This is where his dad died. Uh, yeah. Think He's an Arkansas it. boy. Oh man. <laughs> and the crypt keeper says afterwards, well, that's my story. My mummy was a mummy. If any reader hears of a carnival in town that has a mummy and a two-headed corpse, you should write the Crypt Keeper so he can send them an anniversary card. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> I, I like that it was it was a, it was enough different yeah. to enjoy reading, and I mean the art is spectacular. Yeah, especially the the haunting visuals of seeing Enoch in a uh, a vat. Mm-hmm. That that kind of fucked me up a little bit, and the fact that the the first act in that carnival is switched. Yeah. Myrna is the, is the star attraction in the comic and Enoch is the star attraction. Yeah. in The TV episode. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I don't, I think, I think it could have been just as enjoyable if they had filmed it, you know, a one for one adaptation of the comic. I don't yeah. know why they made the changes they did. I'm glad I didn't have to see Enoch in a vat. Yeah. Oh God. Because you, know you think Actually, about it, it would have been awesome. What well, like, I mean, Enoch is, an actual living, breathing person. Yeah. In, in most of this story, he's just a two-headed guy in a Yeah, bag. I think, uh, now that you said that, I understand why they made the changes, because there's no explanation about why they come back to life, other than the power of love. Right. Well, so, there's no humanizing. Like, yeah. we at least see that really sweet scene with the little girl, mm-hmm. that he basically is um, mentally disabled, yeah. I guess, is that, like, or at least he's not developed or educated mm-hmm. enough to speak It could be that he's so abused that he just doesn't speak. True. Yeah, that's true. So it definitely humanizes Enoch, but it's almost it's almost in the comic that they're not the focus. Yeah, you know, it's it's the owners. The focus. Yeah, the focus of the owners, and they're kind of burgeoning rivalry. And if you were to go into the comic blind, you might think that the result or what's heading is them fighting or killing each other over their creations. Right. Right. And I think even Ernest, when both guys go up to him and go, the other guy stole my yeah. thing. And he's like, 
you're both saying the same thing. So I'm pretty sure you both didn't do it. Yeah. Because you both lost your star attraction. Right. So let's go investigate. So yeah. at least like Ernest is, he's angrier and more cutthroat in the episode. Yeah. In this one, he's just a background character. This mm-hmm. is like, hey, I'm trying to do a show. Right. That's it. I'll give you a fair cut. That's it. Mm-hmm. He's just a boss. Yep. But uh, yeah, I thought it, I thought both are just equally good in their own ways. Uh, I give them both a solid B plus. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. I it's think, a fun time. I, I think it's about the same too. Like the episode was fun, but it's not as fun as like, say like Corman's Calamity. There is no reason that in this episode or the comic to call it lower birth. Right. Like, birth is, is B E R T H as in like where you sleep while you're on a ship or where a ship puts in. Uh, there's no, there's nothing nautical about this whatsoever. Right. The only reason I think it might be called lower birth is that, well, they want to do a pun about the crypt capers birth. Uh, but there was a popular horror story from the early 1900s called the upper birth, which mm. is a ghost story set on a ship. And I think they were just doing a play on that because people would have been somewhat familiar with the upper birth. Right. Yeah. So. Right. But I will say, I first watched this episode just casually before mm-hmm. we did the podcast. Right. And I didn't know that it was a tell. It was a Crypt Keeper origin story. It shocked the shit out of me. <laughs> that last shot of the Crypt Keeper, like me and Natalie were like, oh my God. <laughs> and when we say baby Crypt Keeper, it, 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 it's Crypt Keeper with chubby baby cheeks. Still missing a nose. Still missing a nose. Still has a skeletal nose and like green skin. It's great. Yeah. Um, I think I also looked up that, if I remember correctly, after that episode, because usually what I do after Tales from the Crypt or a movie, I'll do a whole bunch of research on it. Right. Because I'm obsessed with that stuff. Someone has that uh, baby. Oh, gosh. But the thing is, because it was made latex, it's deteriorating, so it's nightmare fuel. Oh, God, I'm sure it is. Let's see if we can find it. It is grotesque when I looked it up. I was like, oh, my God, there's not much of it left. But the parts that's there, if you th- if you think a zombie baby with no nose, but also deteriorating effects, you found yeah, it? Yeah, I found it. Oh, How God. great is it? Yeah. <laughs> if I had the money, I'd buy it. Like, it had brows, animatronic brows to it. At first, I thought it was just a baby they put makeup on, but that would be unethical and horrible. Um, <laughs> like, it's a, it's a full-fledged, like, effect. Yeah, it's a full-fledged effect. So they have the, the baby is wrapped up like a mummy. Mm-hmm. basically and it was an animatronic face with its eyes can move and its eyebrows can move whatever the eyebrows have completely come off so you can see the mechanisms beneath them and it looks like all the padding and stuffing has rotted away mm-hmm. and you can see like you can see in its mouth its lips are all gone but you can see like the tooth or two they put in there but you never actually see on screen oh yeah yeah the eyes were borrowed from a chucky puppet nice yeah that's awesome Huh. Speaking of which, I'm in the middle of the Chucky TV series. Yeah, how far are you into it now? Four episodes in. Yeah, you liking it? I fucking love it. Are you you watch it? And you're like, how do they get away with this on TV? Yeah, yeah. The, there's I don't want to spoil anything because I'm still new to the whole thing. But oh my god, there's I'll tell you about this after we record. Yeah, it's a it's fucked it's, up. It's a traumatic show. It's I amazing. Think. Yeah, like and I actually realize this is now the second big '80s horror franchise that got a second life on TV. What was the first one? Ash vs. Evil Dead. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which is an amazing show. Yeah. It, it truly is. And I'm absolutely loving Chucky. And I'm uh, I'm realizing that TV definitely ha- is an avenue that a lot of franchises can explore. Yeah. Because yeah. you have that. It's a different format. It's mm-hmm. a lo- more long and storytelling it format. Gives, gives it time to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. 
wonderful for sure. But yeah, this was a wonderful episode. I absolutely loved it. Uh, loved covering it and um, excited. What are we up to next? Up next, we will be discussing Oh Crap. <laughs> I love Oh Crap. Yes, because I uh, accidentally uh, closed the window I was looking we, at. We are, Speaking of origin stories. Yes, there we go. We are going to explore the origin of EC Comics horror books because there actually is a story in Haunt of Fear number 17 entitled Horror Beneath the Streets in which the creators of EC Comics actually meet the Crypt Keeper, the Old Witch, and the Vault Keeper. Yeah, so that will be out next week. Instead of our usual two-week wait, you'll have just a week. Yes, yeah. and I think that's going to be super fun because yeah. now we'll that will complete the origin of all the main yes, it characters yeah. in EC. And there, there's no uh, episode associated with this, as far as I know. There's right, it's nothing, just a comic. They never, yeah, they never adapted this one. So right. it's just a little little detour on our way because we figured if we're going to discuss this one origin story, let's discuss all of the origin stories. Right, right. right. It should be super fun. So um, until then, we have social media. We do have social media. You can find me at Mr. Spooky Bruce on Twitter. And you can find Ryan at at Tor Ryan on Twitter. And we also have a show account on Twitter. Yep. On Twitter or Instagram at Cryptkeepers Pod. We also have an email address that is Cryptkeepers Show at thegmail.com. There you go. You're learning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on the podcast app of your choice and share it with your friends. We want to thank you so much for listening. And until next time. See you soon, kitties. <laughs> <laughs>